Hi, this is Damien from New City, Orlando. You're listening to our CBR Bible Project series, where each episode we introduce a different book of the Bible as it coincides with CBR. To learn more about community Bible reading or CBR, visit newcityorlando.com forward slash CBR. Hey, New City, this is Nate Claiborne, and we're here on the CBR Bible Introduction Project podcast. Uh, Today, once again, I am with Josh Kessler, and we are not talking about a historical book anymore because we've moved on to the wisdom literature, the poetry of the Bible. Yeah. So we are here today to talk about the book of Job. How are we doing, Josh? Yeah, doing well, doing well. This, uh, yeah, some new territory for us. We've gotten out of all the narrative stuff, and we're into some poetry now, so that's pretty cool. It's it's literally been a year, I think, (laughs) because we had to get through Joshua, Judges, Samuel, Kings, Chronicles. Yeah. So we will be in, for readers who have not looked at the table of the contents in their Bible recently, we, we do Job and then we skip Psalms because we're doing a Psalm every Saturday. So every three years we get through the book of Psalms. So That's we're right. doing Job, then we'll do Ecclesiastes, Proverbs, Song of Solomon, and then we're going to spend the better part of 2021 just plowing through the prophets. So yeah. it'll, be, it'll be a fun ride, I think. It'll be good. I think it'll be good for us. Yeah. So, but Job, uh, one of the longer, chapter-wise, one of the longer books in the Bible. So we're actually going to be sitting in Job for a while. Yeah. Um, so we're already several chapters in. We started it a couple weeks ago. Uh, but let's do some. Let's just kind of do some background work here and just kind of get oriented around who Job is, what's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, it can be tempting, I think, because Job is basically in the middle of our Old Testament to think he's his story is occurring sometime around the same time as Ezra, Esther, and Nehemiah. Mm-hmm. Um, but we can tell kind of right off from the beginning, there's some hints that it's a very, very old book. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's see, let's look what we have. talks about him being in the land of us right off in the first verse. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it's very clear that he has a lot of land. He has a lot of livestock. He has a ten children, seven sons, three daughters, mm-hmm. um, and then it also kind of key here in verse five. It says, "When the days of their feast had run the course, Job would send and consecrate them, and then he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all." For Job said, "It may be that my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts." Thus Job did continually. So the picture we have here is a man who's very wealthy, living in an agrarian culture, but is mm-hmm. Pre, he's either completely before the Israelite uh, tabernacle system, yep. or he's totally unconnected to it. He's not right. a, not an Israelite, just doing his own thing. Happens to worship the one true God. I think we yeah. talked about earlier. That's kind of like Melchizedek. Like, yeah, shows up in Genesis thirteen fourteen. Seems to be uh, at, at least somewhat clear that he's probably not an Israelite based mm-hmm. on the language of that chapter. So, yeah. So I think he's a non-Israelite, and then we would maybe want to say he's even even if we jump outside of the text itself for a minute and just look at some of the commentaries we've both read and just Mm -hmm. background sources, it's pretty consistent that they're saying Job occurs during the time of the patriarchs. So Mm -hmm. in essence, even though it's in the middle of your Bible, this story is taking place during Genesis, give or take, maybe before Abraham, maybe parallel to Abraham. Yeah. And the fact that we've found uh, fragments from this book with within the Dead Sea Scrolls 
definitely tells us that we're looking at at least, you know, uh, 800 or so years prior. Mm-hmm. So um, it's a it's an older book than we think, probably pre-Solomon or maybe somewhere possibly around the time of Solomon, Yeah, somewhere around there. The story itself may have taken place prior to the actual writing of this book because the writer, to give more background, we don't know who that is. Mm-hmm. Again, an anonymous, uh, and it, it's clear that it's not Job because he would have known uh, that all, all the purpose of what was happening and wouldn't have needed to consult his friends. You wouldn't yeah. even have had the story of Job had he been the author. So um, we, we don't know who that is. Yeah, it's uh, there's probably, we don't talk about this as much on this podcast, but we actually don't know the author of a lot of the Old Testament books. I mean, mm-hmm. the prophets, it's assumed in most cases, it's the person whose name the book is wrote it. But right. with First Samuel, we talked about Samuel's probably an author, but then he dies, so he didn't write Second Samuel. And then yeah. there's not a clear, this person wrote First and Second Kings. It's not clear who wrote Joshua or Judges. It's not clear who wrote Chronicles, although a lot of people attribute it to Ezra. Mm-hmm. But even then, it's, it's a lot of uncertainty. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but we hold that these writings are inspired because we do. they come from God. And obviously James does too, because he references Job mm-hmm. in, in chapter 5. So we presume that the apostles also uh, held, held these books as canon. Yeah. In particular, we're talking about Job today, but yeah. In general. In yeah, general. Even, us not knowing who wrote the book is not an argument against it not being inspired or not being in the Bible. Yeah, exactly. With Job, though, it's the ancientness of the story. We should maybe at least comment on a couple background things in Mm -hmm. that um, it is possible, we're not going to make this argument, but it is possible to read Job as if it's more of a parable. And Mm -hmm. Job is a maybe historical, maybe not historical. He's obviously being situated historically. Right. Um, You could make the case that the truth of what we learn through his interaction with his friends, through God's answer to him at the end, mm-hmm. doesn't require it to actually have happened in a strict historical sense. Mm-hmm. It's very poetic. It's very, you know, it's not straight. We have prose at the beginning and end, but for the most part, it's a book of poetry. Right. Um, you could, And we'll just say you could take it that way. But then we can also say there's nothing in here that's too fantastic, supernatural to say, oh, well, that couldn't happen. So this must be a parable or a myth or right. that wouldn't be an argument against it. If right. it, The only thing I could think that might be an argument against it is what you just mentioned where we're talking about if the book wasn't written until Solomon's time but took place during Abraham's time, that's a 3,000-year 3, 3, oral tradition being passed down. That's mm-hmm. unheard of for us today right? but was more plausible in an ancient context that a story could get passed on. And maybe to that point, um, I'll just, without belaboring this whole point, point out that in the ancient world, this type of story was very common. It was. Yeah. Um, And we'll get We'll get into some of the differences, but the key difference is those other versions didn't have a prologue epilogue that takes place in heaven with God talking to Satan and Right. All of those pieces are not in the other stories. So there is, at the right. end of the day, something very unique and special about Job, even compared to other similar stories, exactly. which lets us know this is the version. God wanted this version in our canon for specific purposes. Yeah, there's there's huge theological purposes behind giving us the prologue and that the epilogue. 
um, that cue us into the themes of the book, the, the purpose of the book in general, and not just launching straight into poetry. Yeah. So, yeah. So along those notes, let's, let's, mm-hmm. let's maybe dig into the prologue and well, we'll just, we'll start in the beginning. So we, we, we situated Job, mm-hmm. um, and then in the first two chapters, we've got kind of all the events that set the rest of the book in motion. Mm-hmm. Satan shows up to present himself uh, before the Lord. Uh, verse 7, the Lord said to Satan, from where have you come? And Satan answered, the Lord said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. And the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand and touch all that he has and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, behold, all that he has is in your hand. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. And then in the subsequent section, uh, Job's property is destroyed. His children die. Mm -hmm. Just basically everything he has other than his life and his wife uh, is taken from him. And it ends with the famous verse 21 where he said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return. Mm-hmm. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. Mm-hmm. Now, that would be enough to, that could be the whole story. And we can imagine the <laughs> friends showing up and having dialogue with Job. But then in chapter 2... Mm-hmm. Uh, Satan is allowed to attack Job's health. And then at that point, Job's three friends show up and there's going to be a cycle of dialogue for the next 35, 36, 36 chapters of just back and forth wrestling with what's going on. Why did this happen? What Mm -hmm. should I do? Yeah. Just kind of sitting in the moment to some degree. Yeah. It's this, uh, this sort of dialogue pattern that takes place and, um, Job laments, then one of the friends speaks into it, uh, then he laments some more or responds to that friend, then another friend speaks up, and that kind of goes on for about 35, 36 chapters, yeah. like you said. It's probably, so, because of the way we're reading it in CBR, we should probably note it's it's useful to probably remind yourself every day who's speaking. Yes. If it's not in the chapter heading, you got to look back on yesterday's yeah. reading and kind of keeping track of is this job talking is this bildad talking who's right. who's making the point right now and kind yeah. of in some ways it's not ideal to digest the book of job a chapter a day yeah exactly so we should just at least point out point that out as people are listening yeah sometimes job is lamenting for two three chapters you know sometimes the friend is speaking for two three chapters and so it's yeah. it's worth looking back in the previous chapter just to get context and yeah and remind yourself who's speaking yeah so as as you're doing that uh, you do that for the next few weeks and then at the end well he's he's got his three main friends um and then towards the end a fourth guy shows up uh and then shortly after that god shows up uh, yes to, in some ways, we would expect God shows up and patiently answers Job's question. And instead, <laughs> God, God shows up in a tornado and 
tells Job to man up, he's going to answer his questions. Right. But then in a surprising turn of events, if you're not paying close attention, it's more... I joke about this with students sometimes is Job is suffering for reasons that we understand and he doesn't. And then when God actually shows up to answer, it feels sometimes as if God shows up and is like, look at all the animals. And then the book ends. And you're just like, that's not helpful. Why, why didn't he? I mean, Job's been crying out for 30 chapters and then God gives him a biology lesson real quick about right. all the different things that he's created. And so you're kind of left with a... Uh, and then Job apologizes. Mm-hmm. And so obviously Job got whatever God was trying to say. So it leaves it to us to kind of wrestle with, well, what did God say? What is he explaining? How mm-hmm. is Job taking this? How does this fit with the rest of the book? Mm-hmm. Um, the message of the book. Yeah. The message of the book. And so we'll, we'll, we'll get there in a few minutes. But anything yeah. as, we're, as we're kind of going through the cycles, is there anything we need to make note of? Uh, I mean... Other than I think what we just said, which is like pay close attention to the pattern, um, because it's it's and there is a there is a specific word for that sort of like framework that the author uses. Um, trying to find it in here, uh, disputation. So it's this. Um, uh, it's, it's using the controversy dialogues recorded in, in ancient Near Eastern literature uh, to help frame the book as a whole. So, mm-hmm. to, in keeping with the theme of of um, the the story itself is very similar to ancient Near Eastern um, stories, and even some of the framework with Job speaks, friend responds, Job speaks, friend responds, kind of thing. Yeah, um, is really helpful as we as we go throughout the book. Um, to remember that some something that really uh, struck me in um, in it's it's hard not to sort of get into some of the message of the book and uh, without talking about this but uh, in chapter six so job is um, yeah job is uh, replying to um, let's see Eliphaz. He's replying to Eliphaz in uh, in 620. Um, let's see. Oh, no, it's not 620. Maybe it's 6... Somewhere in chapter 6. But basically, he is making the... Uh, he's making the point that like a man, how, the the way that a man uh, expresses himself when he's in distress is is kind of like the wind. I can't find the specific verse in here; it's somewhere. Yeah, in I'm kind of flipping six. through to see. But um, and I just I love that because I think it's a microcosm of the part of the message of the whole book, which is to bring our hearts before God in honesty, um, and that trusting God actually means bringing our hearts before him honestly. And just like the wind can't be controlled, right? So a man who is in distress, a man who is in despair, his words um, can't, almost in a sense, can't be controlled. And uh, I just, I love that um, metaphor. I I love the way he describes a man who has, has just been beaten down by his circumstances and feels just complete despair and 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 um, 
just this sense of despondency, like uh, like the wind just goes to and fro. So his words are when he is feeling this way. And uh, I think to to talk about sort of uh, a little bit of background as well with maybe the friends and Job's understanding of suffering in general, the theology of suffering that they would have had. Coming out of wisdom literature, it'd be very easy for us to just sort of read wisdom literature on the whole, like on the surface, and see this principle. If you do good, you will be blessed. Mm-hmm. If you do wrong, you will be cursed, right? Um, and his friends very clearly hold that theology, um, and Job does as well. Uh, the difference is that Job also sees the point um, is to trust God with all of your heart, right? And so he continues to bring his heart before God. That's part of the whole mm-hmm. struggle of the book is, where's my audience with God? Like, give me God's face, and I, I will bring my argument to his face, right? Mm-hmm. And so his friends, in holding this theology, will see throughout the book, it's just, oh, it's so painful to read, but we'll see them continually assume that Job must have sinned. He must have done something horrible for these circumstances to have taken place in his life. For all of the suffering he's experienced, everything that's been taken away from him, uh, that's consistent with, if you do good, God will bless you. If you sin, if you do wrong, God will curse you. And they that plays out through the entirety of the book. So that's another framework we can sort of use to like, look at the dialogue that takes place between Job and his friends and see that um, their theology of, of suffering and of God's justice also um, is very narrowed uh, mm-hmm. to that sort of surface reading of the wisdom literature. Yeah. Yeah, it's probably instructive that they they have such a high view of God's justice that they feel that, of course, Job, you must have done something wrong. Mm-hmm. Like, you are being punished for this. Mm-hmm. Um and then on the other hand, Job is knows that he's blameless, and we do too, because we're told in chapter one that Job is mm-hmm. upright and blameless, so there's, he didn't do anything wrong. It's it's as I'm thinking about it right now, it's probably fascinating to think like you'll read through as we're reading through Job all the things that they're trying to figure out about what's going on. Mm-hmm. None of them even entertain the possibility of what we know from the prologue is going on. Yeah. It was just like, that's just not on their radar, right. which is probably a good um, reminder for us in some sense of we're always trying to figure out what's happening, figure out what's going on. And there's a very simple explanation for what's happening with Job, but it's not something he could ever think of on his own. Mm. And then God yep. doesn't even actually tell him in the end, hey, here's what's going on. Yeah. By the way, and God could have done that. I mean, he could have. It would have taken less than three chapters, which is what he spends explaining the natural world to him. Totally. Um, yeah. At the same time, we might question God's, not question God's goodness, but point out God's graciousness in that maybe from our point of view, reading, reading this thousands of years later, having the whole Bible, mm-hmm. what's going on in Job makes, makes sense to us. But could Job have even had the framework to understand if God had tried to explain it to him? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, you know, it's, it, it would. Yeah, he'd have to explain who Satan is. Does he know who Satan is? Is that something he's aware of? Does he right. know how the heavenly court r- works? Does he know? Like, there's all these things that 
Job may not even be able to actually comprehend. And I actually think that's part of the message at the end mm-hmm. is on the one hand, it could seem like God telling Job, Hey, look at all the animals and Job being like, Oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to question you. Mm. But in another sense, it's God kind of just play by play. Look at all the things I have created. Mm-hmm. Look at all the ways I run and order the universe. Mm-hmm. You don't understand anything about how to create. Mm-hmm. You don't understand how I do what I do. Right. How could you possibly comprehend all of the detailed back end to what is going on right now that you so desperately are trying to comprehend? And I think yeah. that's what Job realizes is that, oh, there's yeah. no way I couldn't actually. God is good. He's His ways are not my ways. I could not comprehend this. I'm sorry for questioning I mean, he's yeah. not, he doesn't apologize for everything, but there's a sense right. in which Job does say, looking at 42, Job answered the Lord and said, I know you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which mm-hmm. I did not know. Mm-hmm. Here and I will speak. I will question you and make it known to me. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear but now my eye sees you, therefore I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, yeah. we may wonder in some sense with Job contrasting with Abraham. Yeah. Abraham had God show up to him to some degree, call him out of earth. So he, goes to, he goes to the promised land and then God yeah. comes and talks to him face to face in Genesis 18. But it, we see with Job here, Job has been worshiping who he thinks to be the one true yeah. God, sight unseen. Like we said, likely from afar. Yeah. You know, without the sacrificial system, yeah. all he's, of those he's things. He's either, you know, off in the parallel or it's way before we even have the nation of Israel as right. a entity. Right. Um, and so it's in some sense he may be, I'm just thinking of this right now, in the ancient world, um, it would have been unusual for the God to actually show up. Like it's like Job's like oh, yeah. pleading his case and then God actually shows up and it blows him away. Right. Right. Yeah. He's, he's undone. I'm, I'm reminded of Isaiah. Mm. It's like the, the, the vision with the, the colon being pressed to his lips. He's, he's undone by, by the vision of the holiness of God. Yeah. And so he's brought similarly, Job is brought before God in his majesty, in mm. his power. And he's undone. Yeah. So. Well, we, we, we may have alluded to this a minute ago, but it's not as if God shows up in a still small voice or in a man who speaks to him face to face. It says at yeah. the beginning of chapter 38, um, then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, and I, I was looking to see just to double check on the word and it's heavy storm or gale. So we, you know, living in Florida, it would be as if a hurricane starts to come on shore and then <laughs> yeah. that's the voice of the Lord comes out of the hurricane yeah. and asks, who is this who darkens my counsel without knowledge? Like right. dress like a man. I will question you mm-hmm. and you tell me. So yeah. it's, you know, it would be terrifying to oh. think of something like that. Oh, you, I mean, you would be shaking in your legs. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It's, that's, it's a remarkable and, and yeah, terrifying imagery <laughs> to think Which about that. Is another, it's mm-hmm. just a, it's something I was, uh, we'll mention here we're, we've started a parallel podcast that does more of a recap of the weekly readings rather than some of the big picture overviews. Mm-hmm. Um, and listeners can download that as well. But I was talking in that with Ben um, about the need to just sit in Job 
mm. and just actually kind of dwell in the uncertainty and mm-hmm. even this this whole thing about the whirlwind and just this one verse is and the the one that you brought up earlier about the voice yeah. being like oh, wind. It's, it's actually 626, 626. i found it okay <laughs> Yeah. Do you think that you can reprove words when the speech of a despairing man is wind? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So just even that imagery and what you drew out of that was from reading Hebrew poetry slowly. That's right. Thinking about the word pictures, That's pondering. Right. Um, and I think we maybe we don't want to do that with Job because on the one hand, we're not as drawn. I think we're not as drawn into it because we know what what's going on. Mm-hmm. Just like, well, Job, I know, I, like, I know, I know why you're in this situation. Like, it's not perplexing to me at all. Mm-hmm. So it makes it a little difficult for us to. We're we're not learning inductively. I mean, mm-hmm. the the inspired writing is inspired the way it is for a purpose. But right. I think there's a sense in which we might find it easier if you just started off with the destruction of Job, mm-hmm. and then you didn't find out until chapter forty. Oh, here's what ha- like a flashback. Like, yeah, goes back to the day before everything happened, and then you right. find out like, oh, here's what was going on. Yeah, we're given the purpose right, right we, away. We just know right off the bat, like, oh, yeah. this, this is what's happening. Let's see how Job responds. Exactly. And it, so it can, yeah. in some sense, keep us from just sitting in. Well, what would it actually have been like to be Job, or what? What's right. it? Is this the kind of advice when you were reading what the friends say? Is like, is this the kind of advice I give people that are hurting? Because mm. maybe that's not helpful. Maybe it is. Maybe you know. Yeah. yeah. And I, I think I think to that point, like that's that's a part of the message of this book is that um, and things that we can take away from it right now, like in our, our daily lives, in a, in a broken world where there is suffering every day mm-hmm. and, and, and uh, may, maybe not to to the extent that Job experiences it here. Yeah. But that's also to say that that doesn't mean we should minimize it and mm-hmm. God doesn't minimize Job's suffering either. So I think that's yeah. the message of the book is that part of the message of the book is that Job brings his heart wholly, honestly, completely before God. And God at the end of the book says, Job has spoken rightly about me. Now, I mean, that's kind of weird, right? Like, mm-hmm. because we, we obviously, we can't say like everything that Job said was right about God because he has to repent for some of the things that he said. Mm-hmm. But I think what we can infer from that is that he has honestly, completely and wholly given his heart to God in his lament, in his suffering, in his experience, in a way that expresses trust in God and in a way that says Satan was and is a liar. Mm-hmm. Because at the beginning of the book, Satan accuses him, right? He says, yeah, he's just, he, the only reason he worships you is because you bless him. And yeah. so God takes it all away and says, watch what happens. Mm-hmm. And so we watch this whole thing unfold. But part of the experience, part of the message is that we bring our hearts honestly and completely and wholly before God in a way that trusts him, that isn't, isn't even withholding what's in our hearts, because it actually takes more trust to do that mm-hmm. than it does to just keep it in, right? right? It's so much easier for us to just ignore what's going on in our hearts, for us to say, you know what, you're right, Eliphaz. Man, I, I, what do I, what do we need to do next? What's the next uh, righteousness project I need to, f- I need to work on? 
mm-hmm. or think about or figure out. Yeah. And uh, that that should solve these problems, right? Yeah. You're right. I must have sinned somewhere. No. <laughs> it's very clear that's not the case, right? So I think um, I think to the the point, the prologue and the epilogue are helping give us this theological framework for the book yeah. and saying that this is this is a pattern for us to follow right mm-hmm. when we experience suffering when we experience loss when we experience the brokenness of this world this is the way that god wants you to respond to bring it before him to his face yeah so it's good it's a good yeah. apologetic for how the book as a whole works where it's yeah. just, if we just had the inner part with the dialogues we wouldn't really be able to just, to decipher is that the way we're supposed to handle things? Like, mm-hmm. you know, what do we what do we make of this? We don't know exactly why they're feeling like this. Yeah. Um, and but having the beginning and the end gives us gives us a good feel for that. Um, I make I'll make one other comment about the end of the book, and this is more mm-hmm. a little more spec speculative is too strong. Um, but a lot of people get drawn into the description of Behemoth. Mm. In chapter 40, is that right? Yeah, Behold Behemoth, which I made as I made you. He eats grass like an ox. 15, 4015. 4015, moving forward. And a little bit farther, we talk about Leviathan. Um, In some ways, we could interpret those naturalistically. Mm -hmm. To say God, he's been talking about the natural world. Um, and so he's just talking about these two great creatures. Mm-hmm. Um, the thing we run into is it's poetry, so it's going to use very picturesque ways of describing the creature, which makes it difficult to decipher what is this necessarily. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other part of it is uh, Behemoth. I'm looking at my note here. It says, mm-hmm. a large animal, exact identity unknown. And it's like, well... <laughs> we kind of uh, it says the same thing about Leviathan. I'm looking at. I think I'm. It's just the ESV. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So I read a book a while back, and I'll link to it in the show notes. Where he makes the argument that if you uh, trace some things through the book as you're reading, some lines here and there in in the internal part of the book, Behemoth and Leviathan are not left turns for God to bring up. Mm-hmm. So he ends up connecting Behemoth with um, Canaanite imagery for the god of the dead, which mm-hmm. was Mott, mm-hmm. um, and saying it's a personification of the god of the dead as if it were a large wild animal. Mm-hmm. And so in that sense, it's a, it feels more mythological than real when you look mm-hmm. at these descriptions of this doesn't actually fit anything we know. And unless Job is way far in the past when there's extinct animals that we don't have record of anymore because there's no fossils. Assuming this is a few thousand years ago, we kind of have a good feel for what was or wasn't on Earth at that right. point in time. Right. Uh, which rules out dinosaurs, which is sometimes what is brought. It's like, oh, these are just dinosaurs. It's like, mm-hmm. well, they wouldn't have been around by Job's time on anyone's time scale. Yeah. Um, and then he makes the case that Leviathan is actually a symbol of Satan. Mm. And so as you're reading through, you're like, well, it seems like he's talking about an animal, like some sort of sea monster. And that's how Leviathan does get construed elsewhere in scripture as a a giant sea monster, a monster, a agent of chaos in the realm of chaos, the ocean. Um, Mm -hmm. And so he I'll let 
kind of leave it up to readers. If you really want to explore this, we'll recommend this book. That It's accessible to most normal people. It's not very long. Mm-hmm. But I think he makes a really co- compelling case for it. That is why Job responds the way he does in 42, is God actually did answer him. Mm-hmm. Here's who's been contending against you. Here's yeah. You've thought this shadowy figure is out to get you. It was. It was mm-hmm. this God of death who I kept at bay, and it was this figure of Satan yeah. who I've kept at bay as well. Yeah. One of the, the verses in here... Um, is 30, 33 and 34, right at the end before Job answers. It shifts from like physical description in some sense, or it's talking about how um, Leviathan is understood. It says, on earth there is not his like a creature without fear. What, what could we, I mean, Satan is at the end of the day a creature mm-hmm. without fear. Mm-hmm. He sees everything that is high. He is king over all the sons of pride. And we think of who mm-hmm. is... Pride is mostly construed as being Satan's downfall, and so he mm-hmm. is the king in that sense of all of those who are prideful. Mm. Not conclusive, just from those two verses, but just hints that maybe we're talking about a figure that we actually know from earlier in the book and not just a random animal that gets brought up at the end to make a point. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. And I think I think it's really helpful for us to, to think about that um, in that sense that it's... Uh, it's 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 not there is a greater purpose behind what you're experiencing mm-hmm. and your experience of it has caused you to come before me in a way that you might presume you would understand or know and here is everything that you don't understand mm-hmm. right here are here are some of the things that you don't understand right yeah. that you don't know that are happening behind the scenes and then here are some of the things that are happening right in front of your face. Um, so I think that's really helpful um, in, in thinking about, like, uh, and we can take from that ourselves, too. We're, we're not just walking around, you know, unopposed. Uh, and the Bible's very clear, like, our battles is not against flesh and blood, right? Mm-hmm. It's against principalities. And so um, here here's a solid example that God is giving Job and saying, yeah, you're contending with these real forces mm-hmm. and, uh, but, and yet I'm in control. Yeah. So yeah, they still do as I say, they still obey me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah well, I think that's, I mean, it is a, as, as readers and the listeners are going to read through Job, it, they'll, it'll feel like more of a fitting conclusion. Mm-hmm. If you keep some of the things we talked about in mind, and I think as well as you keep in mind, um, Rather than, and this is, this is something that's a good thing for us to take from this, is that God's not obligated to explain to us why he does what he does or why things unfolded the way I unfolded. Mm-hmm. And he's essentially asking Job to trust his character. I can't tell, you know, look at how well I run all of these other things. So yeah. trust that yeah. I have reasons that you may not be able to actually comprehend I think, yeah, and I think this is a good place to to say really quickly that uh, Job's sin is not like his lament. It's mm-hmm. not the things that he brings before God. It's his assumption of or presumption upon God's character. Mm-hmm. In other words, it's him basically putting himself in the seat of God, in the place of God, and saying, I could dispense justice better than you could 
because of what I'm experiencing. Mm-hmm. And God basically shows up and says, no. Yeah. And here's <laughs> no, why. No, you can't. And here's why. Yeah. Where were you when I made the earth? Right. Um, and so I think that that's a good thing for us to remember uh, as we as we do what you were just talking about. Um, in, and as we go through the book, um, it's it's his presumption upon God's character. It's not the the way in which he expresses like his heart or his lament. And I also really quickly quickly wanted to mention sort of that that language of uh, what does it mean to curse God. Mm-hmm. Um, I think is really helpful because I I think you know modern day us English readers would just read that and say that probably means something like f you god or something like that to yeah, literally like literally curse, like cuss god out yeah. right and that is not that that's not a holistic understanding of what it means to curse god mm-hmm. i think what's in view is to curse god would be to literally reject god to liter- to as we've used the language you know when we talk about the gospel to turn toward god in repentance right mm-hmm. to to curse him would be to turn away and reject him to yeah. f- like if you could think of physically turning your body away from the face of God and just start walking the other direction that is sort of the imagery that's in mind when his wife at the beginning of the book says just curse God and die she's not saying cuss God out and die she's saying leave God and go mm. find another one that's going to to do you know right by you right. because you've been doing right by God right so I think that's really important because I've talked a lot about bringing our hearts before God and lamenting before him honestly uh, and so I what I don't think that means what I don't think cursing God means is for us to just like cuss God out because yeah. there honestly may be some anger in our hearts that God wants to expose and I, um, so I don't think that Job is telling us that uh, that's that's too simplistic an understanding, in yeah, other words, I, may, of that cursing. Maybe readers are, re, are, are are seeing that too closely aligned with Job not sinning with his lips or something like sure. that. Sure, like yes. The yeah. assumption is when his wife says that, she's telling him to say something, like shout at the sky, when she's really more making, a for that time and that place, a very reasonable point of, well, if you've pledged your allegiance to this deity and this is how he treats you, mm-hmm. you need to reject him and find, find a new one. Like that exactly. was just the way it worked back then to yeah assume and if we even remember uh briefly what what job's concern was for his kids in chapter one mm-hmm. his concern was that they wouldn't curse god in their hearts right mm-hmm. so to curse god in their hearts would be to reject him to walk away from him to to um turn the other way uh, i think it's yeah yeah what it's one five it's at the end of five it may be that my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Um, so he's, he sacrifices on their behalf because that's his concern. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I just wanted to point that out. I thought that would be, be helpful. Um, and so we don't, just so we don't impose our, our modern understanding of, of just like literally physically cursing with our lips. And yeah, it's a more holistic understanding, I think. Of, and it, it also paints his, wife in a better picture in that in some ways you could look at her as like well that's super helpful like job's dealing with all this and you're just like well why don't you just curse god and die Mm -hmm. it's like well 
in some ways, I mean, she's experiencing all the same trauma he is. Mm-hmm. Um, and it wouldn't be unreasonable to abandon this God and move on to a new one. Although uh, the die part is a little hard to, um, a little harder to reckon with. But mm-hmm. she does say, do, do you still hold fast to your integrity? Um, Job does not mince words. He says, you speak as one of the foolish women would speak. Um so in some ways, I think it's unfolding like oh, when people are stressed out and traumatized, they say things that uh, but in, it says Job did not sin with his lips right after this. Mm-hmm. Um, interesting that the wife fades to the background at this point, And then it's just Job and the three friends moving forward. Mm-hmm. And yet she's part of the restoration yeah. at the end. Yeah. Because um, she would experience that as well. Yeah. But I, I do think that that makes better sense of what's going on there in the front. I'm, I'm looking back at the end. It says, Lord restored the fortunes of Job. The Lord gave twice as much as he had before. Then came to him all his brothers and sisters and all who had known him before and ate bread with him in his house. Mm-hmm. Um, and in all the land, there were no women. So I'm skipping down to the last last verse. Uh, so beautiful as Job's daughters and their father gave them an inheritance among their brothers. After this, Job lived 140 years, saw his sons, his son's sons, four generations, and Job died an old man and full of days, which mm-hmm. as we're closing here, probably worth pointing out that language of lived so many years, died old man full of days. That's the way the patriarchs are almost always described mm-hmm. is they lived so many years and died full of days or died. So it's a very... Mm-hmm situates it even further into this is pre-Abrahamic or parallel to Abraham or somewhere yeah, somewhere around in there because we're talking about Job the same way we would talk about Abraham. Yeah, yeah. And what a beautiful, um, what a beautiful epilogue. Mm-hmm. Just a closing to this whole thing. Um, and to point out, too, that um, it's to be consistent with what I said earlier is that uh, the reason God restores Job's fortunes is not because Job repents, right? Mm-hmm. Or then it would be contingent upon something he did, yeah. right? Um, but it's be- just because he, of what he said in chapter one, like, just look at Job. Mm-hmm. Look at how, like, beautiful his life is before me. And is there anyone like him on yeah. the earth? And blameless and upright. Blameless and upright. And his blessing of Job at the end reflects what he said about him at the beginning, which is he is blameless and up, and he is um, he is to be uh, admired. He is to be um, his his story is to be not not that we would wish any any of the things that happened to Job upon anyone, but that his uh, the pattern I should say of mm-hmm. his life should be mimicked. Yeah. in his response to suffering and the way that he trusts God with his whole heart. So I think we'll sit in that for the next few weeks. Mm. I hope listeners uh, benefit from our kind of back and forth discussion on some of these issues and feel, yeah. have, feel like they've got a better feel on some of the things going on in Job, and we'll look forward yeah. to what we learn in the journey. Agree, agree. And, and with what you said earlier, to really encourage people to take time to sit in the poetry, mm-hmm. like sit in it, just just soak it in and... Um, let it let it soak in your heart and, and meditate on it. Yeah. It's good. Well, it's good yeah. to talk with you about this. Yeah. Look forward to next time. You too, Nate.